God's love for us is wonderful, isn't it? With Valentine's Day on Wednesday of this upcoming week, it is probably safe to say, and maybe somewhat dangerous to say, like the little trolls Valentine Bryson had, love is in the air. A love will indeed be in the air. It'll be printed on some helium-filled balloons that are weighted down with those little heart-shaped weights. It's going to be stamped on those wonderful old candies, if you can still find them, called Conversation Hearts. It's going to be stated on packaged boxes filled with chocolates. It's going to be printed in cards and handwritten on some pink construction paper cutouts. And it will no doubt sound through the airwaves on radio stations with Hathaway's hit song. What is love? That's where I'm going to stop. But if you really want to know the answer to that question, what is love, you're not going to find it on a balloon or on a piece of candy or a box of chocolates. You won't find it in a Hallmark card or even a handwritten note. You won't find it in the lyrics from a lame pop song in the 90s. But you can find out what love is from the one who is himself love. Because he gave us a love letter that we call the Bible. And in fact, in the Bible, there is one specific chapter that's known as the great love chapter in Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is 13 verses long. And in these 13 verses, the word love is stated nine times. Fitting that it's called the great love chapter. If you want to know what love is, I want to invite you to go with me to the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 this morning, as we seek an answer to that question. What is love? No better place to find it than in God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to look at all 13 verses this morning, but let's start by looking at just the first three. What is love? The Bible says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. What is love? Well, we find out in those first three verses that love is essential. Love is essential. You can say, be, and do a lot of things in life, but without love, your life will be maddening, miserable, and meaningless. Without love, our words are simply noise. Our wisdom amounts to nothing, and our work is null and void. 
We see in verses 1, 2, and 3 how Paul emphasized the necessity of love. And keep in mind that this love chapter was written in a love letter. Under the inspiration of God, Paul the Apostle wrote to a group of Christians in the city of Corinth. This group of Christians was a church. And in this church, there were many people who did many great and wonderful things, said many great and wonderful things, had knowledge, wisdom, did many wonderful things. But even in this church, there were some problems, some big problems if you read through the letter of 1 Corinthians. But one of the great problems that this church had is that they didn't truly love each other as they needed to. Now, they might have said it. They might have done something every once in a while to demonstrate it. But really, many of these Christians were self-centered. And many of these Christians acted upon selfish impulses and desires. Instead of putting others above themselves, they thought of themselves first. And we know that this was happening because in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and 12, we begin to read of some people being neglected at the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 11, we, we find out that there were some believers who were feasting when the church gathered to take the Lord's Supper, and there were some other believers who were going without food. People were putting their group of friends and themselves above others. And we find out in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that people were emphasizing their own spiritual maturity, or better said, their spiritual giftedness and service in the church, more than the spiritual giftedness and service of others. I speak in tongues, you don't, so I'm better than you. I have prophecy and knowledge and you don't, so I'm better than you. I do all of these wonderful acts of service and lower myself for others. Therefore, I am better than you. That's what led Paul to write at the end of 1 Corinthians 12. You guys want to talk about spiritual gifts. I'll show you an even more excellent way to live the Christian life. And it's simply to love each other. Paul said, if I spoke with the tongues of men and of angels... But if I didn't have love, I, I just sound like sounding brass, a clanging cymbal. I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, uh, but we do have, have some problems in, uh, in American churches of the same thing that was going on in Corinth back in Paul's day. People will claim that they're speaking in tongues, and they're doing nothing but blabbering. It makes no sense. It's not of the Holy Spirit. They're just doing it for a show to emphasize themselves. And to make themselves look better and more spiritually mature as Christians than other people. And I want you to hear me out. The Holy Spirit can indeed do some miraculous things. Including helping someone speak in a language that they didn't previously understand. Including help someone hear in a language that they didn't previously know. Happened throughout the book of Acts. There's numerous examples that I could give you even of missionaries sharing the gospel in a language that they've not known before. Or someone hearing the gospel when someone else has been speaking a, a language that that person has never before understood. 
God can do those miraculous things. But when it comes to this idea of speaking in tongues and just blabbering about nonsense, that's not of God. It's selfish, it's deceitful, it's corrupt, and it's evil. In fact, sometimes in, uh, in Christian circles, it, uh, it, it really doesn't sound like anything led of the Lord at all. Paul says, if I spoke with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I just become sounding brass or a, I'm trying not to scare you, if you're asleep, you're going to be awake in just a minute, right? <laughs> Woo! Isn't it wonderful when Edie West or Ethan Stanley plays the drums with our praise team? Sounds great. Sounds really great. Ray, it does. Did that sound great just now? Some of you are like, Jake, just quit preaching, man. My ears are ringing. I've heard enough. Here's reality, folks. Whether you're speaking with the tongues of men or the tongues of angels, whether you're even saying the words, I love you to somebody else, if you don't truly have love in your hearts, you are nothing more than annoying. Nobody wants to listen to a Christian who doesn't truly have the love of Christ within them. Truly love each other. Then your words will be words of love. And not only did Paul say that we need to speak with love in our hearts, but we need to have love in our hearts or we are nothing. Uh, Paul went on to say in verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy, if I understand all mysteries, if I have all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but if I don't have love, I am absolutely nothing. Spiritual maturity in the Christian life is not based upon the knowledge you possess. It's based upon the love that you give away. There are many people who are astute theologians. They have studied. They know a lot about the Bible. They can communicate the truth of the Bible. But when you don't speak the truth in love, Paul says you are nothing. Doesn't matter how many degrees you hold. Doesn't matter how long you have been a Christian or how many Bible verses you could recite. If you don't love the Lord and other people, Paul said, you're nothing. And in verse 3, Paul even went so far as to say this. And think about what he says. If I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Just think about this. If you went out after this worship sold, service and sold everything you had, literally everything you had, house, cars, you took all the money out of your bank account, all the possessions that you owned, the only thing you kept was a clothes on your back. And you came to First Baptist Church Walnut Ridge Church office Monday morning and gave a check so that we could go and buy food to give away uh, food to people in our food pantry in this community. If you did that, but you didn't truly love those people who were hungry coming through that food line, your work is completely worthless. You can do a lot of good things, but if you don't truly love people from your heart to whom you're doing good, your work is meaningless and worthless. But Paul even went on to say that if I gave my body to be burned, if, if, if I laid down my life as a martyr for the faith, 
but I did not have love, it would profit me nothing. It kind of reminds me, Jesus Christ didn't give his body to be burned, but he gave his body to be nailed on the cross. And as he was there dying on the cross, crucified by his enemies, he put to practice what he had told his disciples so many times. Remember what Bryson talked about with the kids? Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, love your friends and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. You remember what Jesus cried out from the cross as he's hanging there? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus loved the very people that put him to death. Paul, the apostle, though he would be stoned several times like people picked up rocks and threw them at him to kill him, though he'd be whipped and beaten, though he would be made fun of and mocked, though he would be put in jail, Paul loved the very people who were doing all this wrong to him. If we do all kinds of things in service to God and others, but we don't truly love God in our heart, we don't truly love other people in our heart, it profits us nothing. But when we have love in our heart, the work that we do flows from the heart of God. It's just God's love coming into us and going out through us. Love is essential. That's the first thing that Paul taught us about love in verses 1 through 3. But he went on in verses 4 through 7. It, we're answering this question, what is love? Well, Paul begins to describe love in verses 4 through 7. Listen to what he says in the Bible. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In verses 4, 5, 6, and 7, there are 15 adjectives and phrases that describe and define what love is. And we find out in these verses that not only is love essential, but love is excellent. It is the most excellent of the virtues. In fact, if you read through Paul's writings in the New Testament, it, you'll also come to a place in Galatians chapter 5 where Paul talks about walking by the Spirit so you don't carry out the works of the flesh. And Paul goes on to say that the fruit of the Spirit, that is the things that the Spirit produces in your life, if you let the Spirit control you, the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's where he starts. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love is excellent, Paul is saying. It's the first of the fruits of the Spirit that's listed in Galatians 5. If you go on to read at the end of the New Testament, the Apostle Peter's writings... The Apostle Peter talks about how Christians are to add to their faith, are to grow in their faith. And you know what the culminating virtue in his list of virtues is? There in 2 Peter chapter 1, 
It's love. It's the first of the fruits of the Spirit. It is the culminating virtue of the Christian faith. I could spend a great deal of time defining all of these adjectives and giving examples for all of these phrases. And I mean I could spend a great deal of time doing this because I've heard it preached very well before. My father-in-law officiated Stephanie and I's wedding ceremony and most of his 52-minute sermon was describing these virtues of love. And you think, I'm kidding. You weren't there. I was. Trust me. I remember. But instead of going through this list, you could do this on your own and make a great personal time of Bible study for you. I want you to pay attention to what Paul is doing in verses 4 through 7. First, he is explaining what love is. It's patient and kind. And then he explains what love is not. It is not envious. Some English translations say jealous. And I don't want you to, to get the, uh, the wrong idea here. Um, if you're married to somebody and somebody else is flirting with your spouse, it, it's good to be jealous in that sense, okay? But if you are a genuine friend to somebody and your friend experiences a blessing in life, and you get jealous of them because of the blessing that they've received, that's when jealousy, envy is a bad thing, okay? What love is, it's patient and kind. What love is not, it's envy. It's not envious. And then Paul moves from what love is and is not to what love does not do. It does not boast. It does not become conceited. I like the way the King James and New King James phrase that. It doesn't parade itself and isn't puffed up. You think of those big fat uh, balloons in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Man, those things are inflated. But could you imagine putting a big hole in one of those and just letting it zoom through all those skyscrapers in New York City? All of a sudden, the parade and the puffiness is just no more. It's completely deflated. Love is not like that. It's not something that's blown up and fizzles out. Love does not misbehave. Love does not seek itself. It doesn't provoke anger. It's not provoked by anger. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It doesn't keep a list of everything that somebody has done wrong and hold that list against them. Love doesn't rejoice at injustice. It's not glad when, it, when you cheat and win. Can't win if you cheat, right? And then Paul ended with a description of what love does. It rejoices with the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. If you want to know what love is, it's right there. You have what love is, what love is not, what love does not do, and what love does. There's no better description of love in all of the New Testament. But that might be a little hard for some of you to remember all of those 15 adjectives and phrases, right? About the excellence of love. So let me just share this thought with you from later on in the New Testament in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. John was another one of Jesus' apostles, his disciples. And John put it this way in 1 John 4, 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Do you hear it? 
1 John 4, 8, he who does not love does not know God, for God is. So let's, let's do something. I, I picked this up from Walter Norville a few years ago when he was teaching um, Sunday school, first group Bible study. He came to verses 4, 5, 6, and 7, and he said, do this. If God is love, substitute the word love with the name of God. Listen to this. God is patient and is kind. God is not envious. God does not parade himself. He is not puffed up. God does not behave rudely. God does not seek his own. God is not provoked. God thinks no evil. God does not rejoice in iniquity. God rejoices in the truth. God bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Isn't that wonderful? When you substitute the word love for the name of God, you understand love is who God is. There are certain things that he is. There are certain things he's not. There are certain things he does not do. And there are certain things that he does. But we don't just stop with the idea that God is love. If we have received the love of God through his son, Jesus Christ, Jesus said that you should love others as I have loved you. Was Jesus patient and kind? Did Jesus show his disciples love? Yes. So now do something a little bit differently than substituting the word love for the name of God. Put your name in there. Think about it. Maybe a little challenging, convicting. Jake is patient and kind. I got five kids. I don't know about that all the time. Be honest. Love is not envious. Man. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Jake does not parade itself. He's not puffed up. Man, isn't that hard? Read it with your name in there. So-and-so does not behave rudely, does not seek his or her own. So-and-so is not provoked. I think no evil. I do not rejoice in iniquity, but I rejoice in the truth. I bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. Love is excellent. God is love. He calls us to love as He has shown us love. You know, surrounding that verse in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, there's some other thoughts about love, and I want to share those with you really quickly. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God had sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Love is essential. Receive God's love for you and give it to others. Love is excellent. Receive God's love for you and give it to others. In verses 8 through 13, we also see an answer to the question, what is love? We learn in these verses that love is endless. Look at verses 8 through 13 in 1 Corinthians 13. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. But now abide or remain, faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. One day our faith will be made sight. Our hope will be realized. But God's love will never be exhausted. Don't you love that stanza to the hymn Amazing Grace? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. You know why we won't stop singing God's praise when we're in heaven after 10,000 years? Because we'll still have a reason to praise God because His love continues to go on and on and on and on for us. The prophecy of Jesus coming back will come true. The knowledge of God's Word we will have in its fullness at the appearance of the Lord Jesus when we stand before Him. But we could never, never fathom the depths of God's love for us. God's love is endless. It goes on forever. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3. Uh, Jeremiah the prophet said uh, uh, from the Lord, the Lord said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. No beginning to it. No end to it. God's love goes on and on and on forever. Isn't it wonderful? Another one of my favorite hymns we, we sang this morning, The Love of God. Some of you have heard that one and know it by heart. Some of you, that's a new one. It's actually a really old one, though. If you know the, the story behind the history of that hymn, but I want to share with you just a little piece of history with you this morning. A hymn writer, a minister by the name of Frederick Lehman was composing a hymn that he would end up titling The Love of God. He'd written the first two stanzas along with the help of his daughter, but still wanted a third stanza so that he could publish the hymn. 
He himself had gone through some hardship in his life, had, had lost his business, and was working just a, a bare minimum wage job back in the day before there was such a thing as minimum wage, filling up fruit crates with oranges and lemons out in California. And he had stumbled across a, a little writing on a slip of paper and as he was finishing out this hymn, The Love of God, he, he went back to this little piece of writing that he had found and read the words, could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, were every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Lehman had written those lyrics down after hearing of a man who had been placed into an insane asylum, who had inscribed those walls, words on the walls of his room. The consensus was that in moments of sanity, this Man who had been placed in this insane asylum had been reminded of the great love of God and how it's endless, just goes on forever. And that during moments of sanity, he pinned those words on his wall and before the people came in to, to repaint the wall, they wrote it down and wrote that story down. Lehman ended up with it. But those words didn't originate with Lehman, nor did they originate with this man who was in an insane asylum. They actually came from about a thousand years before that, from a Jewish man who was alive during the Crusades. As Christians from Europe were coming in to the land of Israel and to the city of Jerusalem, uh, these people who called themselves Christians were just killing people who refused to convert to the faith. Many of them were Muslims, many of them were Jews, and one of these men, a Jewish rabbi, was put on a mock trial to defend the Jewish faith. And he wrote down these words about God's great love and God's greatness in a poem. Years later, Lehman ends up with these words and puts them into this hymn, The Love of God, that we sing today. And I think it's just a wonderful reminder that God's love is indeed truly endless, and it is for everyone. Did God love that Jewish rabbi who wrote the original words of this poem? Yes. Did God love that insane man whose name has been lost to history? Yes. Did God love that hymn writer who was stacking crates of lemons and oranges in California and writing down words to this beloved hymn that we sing? Yes. God's love is endless. It endures for all time. And we need to receive God's love for us. And we need to give God's love to others. You say, Jake, I, I, just, I need to understand this. God is love and He loves everybody, right? Right? 
That's what the Bible says. God is love. And he loves you. You say, well, then Jake, why in the world does God send people to hell? How in the world could a loving God do such a thing? I want to share with you what Adrian Rogers shared with folks when they asked him that question. People will go to hell unsaved, but they will never go to hell unloved. I want to share something with you this morning. God is love, and he loves you. But if you've never received his love before, you don't know God as a loving father. And God wants you to know his love. He wants you to experience the great love that he has for you. But you can only find his love and experience his love by placing your faith in his son, Jesus Christ. That's the only way you can receive it. The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world. And it means exactly what it says. God loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. God doesn't send people to hell because he hates them. God sends people to hell because they refuse to receive his love. And if you're here this morning and you have never received the love that God has for you, I want to encourage you and urge you to place your faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to this earth from heaven. He died on the cross for your sins and for mine. No matter what you choose to do or believe, with Jesus, nothing changes the fact that Christ sacrificed himself on the cross of Calvary. God's love has been permanently displayed for you there for all time. Your choice, your decision is will you or will you not receive that great love that God has shown, that God has given to you so freely. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and he rose again three days later. If you will come to Jesus in faith, knowing that you are a sinner, knowing that there's no way you could ever live up to all of these descriptions of love in verses four through seven, always and all the time, there's no way that you could be perfectly loving because you're a sinful person. If you come to Jesus and admit your faults and failures, and believe that he loved you so much that he died in your place on the cross, took your punishment because he loved you, he'll forgive you of your sins. If you'll believe that he rose again from the third day, he'll give you eternal life. A life that you'll have forever in heaven so that you can forever sing God's praise, his amazing grace and his love that goes on forever. Have you received God's love for you? Are you giving God's love to others? Do you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? In just a moment, there's going to be a song of invitation played. And I just simply want to invite you to respond 
to God this morning during this song. If you're here today and you have never received God's love for you by trusting in Jesus Christ and you want to receive God's love today, here's what I want to ask you to do. When this song begins to play, you just walk right down here to the front and say, Jake, I want to receive God's love. I'll be happy to talk to you about how you can trust in Jesus, how he can save you. If you're here this morning and you know that God is love and you have received the love of God through Jesus Christ, but you have not been giving God's love to others, maybe you just need to walk down here and kneel at this altar and repent of the attitude of hatred or selfishness in your heart and ask God to work into your life His love so that His love can flow through you to others. It's not just a matter of you choosing to do better or be better. It's a matter of you admitting to God that you can't do this on your own. That there are some people that you just can't love in and of yourself, but you know that God loves people and you want His love to flow through you, even to your enemies, even to those who have hurt you and wronged you. I'll be standing down here in the front if you need to speak with me. As God calls you this morning, would you come to Him?